Uh, but happy Mother's Day to uh, all of the mothers here this morning. I hope today uh, is a special day for you. I'm blessed to have three very special moms in my life, certainly my mom, Barb, my mother-in-law, Carol, and of course, my wife, Jenny. And here's some things that I've learned over the years. Moms, you have an extremely important role uh, to play in the lives of your kids. And so thanks for all you do. Thanks for your sacrifice. Uh, thanks for your love. Uh, and most importantly, thanks for your faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, we also know that today, can be a bittersweet day uh, for some people for many different reasons. And so if you've lost a mom or lost a child, uh, if you hope to be a mom one day, whatever those circumstances may be, uh, we want you to know that we love you. Um, we, we believe that our, our God loves you and loves you deeply. We like to think of ourselves as one big family uh, here at Genesis Church. And so no matter who you are, we care about you. Uh, and we want you to know that you're a very important part uh, of this family here at Genesis. And so um, we're, we're praying for you today. And I'd like to pray for us now, if you, if you bow your heads uh, with me this morning. Uh, Father in heaven, we, we come before you. You are uh, our God and our King. We thank you for the life and the hope that we have uh, in and through you. And uh, we thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you for every woman here today, for the blessing they are to you, to our church, and certainly to your kingdom. And uh, on this Mother's Day, we lift up to you every mother's heart that's in this room right now. Uh, the mother's hearts who have been blessed to hold their child, the mother's hearts who have yet to hold their child, the mother's hearts that feel blessed and full here today, and, and the mother's hearts that feel incomplete, uh, the mother's hearts that, that are hurting. Uh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you. You are a kind and gracious and compassionate God. You know every life. You see our hearts. You see our joys. You see our hurts. You see our pain, the longing. And most importantly, God, you hear our prayers. And so would you help every mother, every woman here today to trust you in deeper ways? I pray that you would increase their faith, that you would give them great influence in and around this world and deep love for their children and their lives, for others, and most importantly, for you. And so bless every woman here. Remind them that they are your daughter, highly favored, loved, chosen, sought after, redeemed, delighted in, and deeply treasured. And we pray all of this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to take it and turn to the New Testament book of Acts, Acts uh, chapter 13. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles on the table in the back of the room. You're welcome to grab one of those uh, even as you leave today. It's a gift. It's our gift to you. And so please feel free uh, to take it. Uh, the fate of the world rested in the hands of one red button. If it weren't for the careful discernment of one man, who knows what life would look like for any of us today. You've heard of the Cuban Missile Crisis before. Maybe you remember talking about that in your U.S. history class. I wonder if you've heard this part of the story. It was 1962. U.S. warships were closing in on four Russian submarines uh, in the waters between Florida and Cuba, but these weren't just any subs. Each of the four subs uh, contained a nuclear warhead 
warhead capable of causing the kind of destruction that Japan endured during World War II. Now, for these Russian sailors, they had been led to believe that they were just on this regular training exercise, but Arctic waters off the coast of Russia eventually turned into the tropical waters of the Caribbean, and that proved difficult and complicating for a couple of reasons, including the fact that Russian subs weren't designed for the warmer waters, which meant that temps inside the subs climbed to at least 120 degrees Fahrenheit. That persistent warm air meant the sailors were dehydrated and exhausted. Add to it details and instructions from Moscow about their mission were sketchy and unclear. And so it's no surprise then how things quickly escalated when U.S. warships approached. And believing that war had already been initiated, one of the Russian captains reportedly lost his uh, cool, ordered the crew to prepare for nuclear launch against the United States of America. It was at this moment that this man, Vasily Arkhipov, I've been practicing his name all week, Vasily Arkhipov, a Russian official on one of the subs, spoke up, and although one Russian official had already ordered strike, Vasily courageously stepped in and demanded more information, better details. Thankfully, the captain listened, his anger cooled, and at Vasily's request, the commanding officers waited for clear instructions and details, and eventually, they learned that while intense, war had not been initiated, and as a result, the situation de-escalated, war was averted, and both sides sought a more peaceful solution. The moral of the story is this, the details matter. All right, there's some important things to find in the details. These Russian sailors didn't have all of the facts. They were missing critical details. And because they paused until all of the information and details were known, a catastrophe was avoided. The details matter. Husbands, you you know this to be true. When my wife asked me to go to the store and pick up something specific, I'm gonna ask three or four or five questions. I wanna know exactly what she has in mind, exactly what she wants me to get because I don't wanna have to make a second trip, you know, back to the store for something else. The details matter. Why do the details matter? Details provide critical information. Details show us what needs to be done and how to do it. Details can enlighten us. And here's something that we believe at Genesis. We believe that the details of the Bible matter too. And so that's why we're taking some extra time this year to study through a New Testament book like Acts. And and we're not trying to preach through every single detail or every single verse, but take what we're talking about here, add some study of your own to it. I truly believe that God can and will do some amazing, some cool things uh, in our lives and in our church family together as we read and study through Acts this year. And so Acts chapter 13 today, uh, in, in case you're new, Acts is a history book found in the New Testament. It's a historical collection of the details that come at the end of Jesus' life here on earth. Acts chapter one begins with his ascension into heaven and then uh, continues for the next 27 chapters, these details about how the first church grew and how they impacted the world these people did, this church did, this world that these people believed they had been sent to serve. We think there's a lot to learn from it too. The world is a very difficult, complicated, confusing place 2,000 years ago. There was a lots of opposition to Jesus and Christianity, but these men and women and students in Acts, they were faithful, they trusted God, and as a result, God used them to change the world at Genesis 
Genesis, we believe that God can do it again. We believe this is why we are here, why we exist, that we wanna live boldly and courageously and passionately for Jesus all around this community. We believe that we today can make a big impact for Jesus in this world and help many others find their way back to God. And so I wanna begin today by reading from Acts chapter 13 with you, uh, just 12 verses, Acts chapter 13, verses one through 12. I'll warn you, it's a little heavy on the details, but I'm hoping and praying that God has something special for each of us today. And these words aren't gonna be on the screen, and so I'll just invite you to follow along in your own Bible or just hear them and imagine them in your own minds as I read. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse one. Luke writes this, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menain, who would have been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. I told you there are a bunch of details and we read about these missions and these individuals and these churches and these locations. There's a sorcerer of all things that we're reading about. Let's cover some of these details. Up to this point in Acts, the movement of Christianity uh, and the growth of the church had been centered in the city of Jerusalem in the heart of Israel. But now as we're gonna move forward in Acts, we're gonna see how the Holy Spirit used ordinary people to take the message of the gospel to the outer reaches of the Roman Empire, as is demonstrated here in this map. A few weeks ago, we learned that by the end of Acts 11, the gospel had spread to the city of Antioch in modern-day Syria, 200 miles to the north of Jerusalem, which led to the followers of Jesus starting a brand new church there. And at the end of Acts 11, we learned that the church in Antioch sent out two men named Barnabas and Saul and sent them back to Jerusalem with a financial gift to help the church going through a very difficult time. And then we find this important detail at the end of Acts chapter 12. We didn't read this verse, but the last verse of chapter 12, verse 25 says, when Paul or Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, that is their mission to Jerusalem, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John also called Mark. Now we mentioned John Mark's name last week. We'll learn more about him in the weeks to come. But this verse 
provides further evidence that the focus of the mission is changing. Antioch is gonna become the center of the global church movement and will eventually send out Barnabas and Saul and what is typically referred to as their first missionary journey as can be seen here. And in Acts chapter 13, verse one, we get a little insight into their journey and what set it into motion. Look at Acts 13, verse one again. We read, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, who had been brought up with, with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. You can call this the Antioch church staff. These were important leaders and influencers in this church, in this early church. Now, but part of what makes uh, this staff, these individuals, these leaders, this church so fascinating is their diversity. Barnabas was from Cyprus. Simeon and Lucius were both from Africa and likely had darker skin. Menane, as we read, had grown up in Herod's household. Saul was a Jewish rabbi whose life had been radically changed by Jesus. Why do these details matter? Because the details of your life matter. All right, the details of my life matter, your story, how God created you and what he has and desires to do in your life. We just finished two very exciting weeks here at Genesis that I hope you were able to be a part of. 20, 21 people went public with their faith in Jesus Christ and were baptized here in this room. Each person had a story to share, a story about their coming to Christ and their desire to live boldly for Jesus in this world. It was so encouraging, it was so fun to see what God is doing in lives and what he's doing in and through you our church family. But I also see in this church in Antioch what I hope a church like Genesis will be known for, a diverse body of believers, one where it doesn't matter the color of your skin, your nationality, whether you're male or female, young or old or economic standing, because we're all one in Jesus Christ. Jesus is what brings us together. We are his children and we are a part of his family all under the name of Jesus. And that's what's happening here in Antioch. And here's something else this church was known for verse two, they were known for their note, worshiping the Lord and fasting. And if you skip over to verse three, it says they, they had fasted and, and they were praying. And so I, I see a church that's focused on worshiping God. They live for God and they desired this intimate, close relationship to him, but they also looked to God for things like wisdom and direction. And they did that through things like fasting and prayer. And by the way, I'm encouraged at how we're growing in these areas as a church family. For one, I hope you're experiencing the power and the importance of worship when you come in here on Sundays and when we sing a song like no other name like Jesus, you know, and hands start going up around the room. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up Baptist and so it's taken 47 years for me to get my hands up this far. But one day, every single one of us, we're, our hands are gonna be fully, our arms are gonna be fully extended for Jesus Christ when we see him face to face. And so when we worship together, we're worshiping him for who he are, is and, and, and what he means to us and, and worship on Sundays, it's not the most important thing that we do, but it is an important part of our faith that there is something special about coming together as a church family each week. But I also hope that you're growing in your relationship with the Lord because as important as Sundays are, there's no substitute 
for your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, your time alone with God in prayer and reading your Bible. It's the only way that you are truly going to grow deeper and closer to the Lord. And, and he's the one, the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us grow. And when you grow, we grow and our church grow, we all grow closer to the Lord together. Notice how the people in Antioch were fasting and praying together, which means they were desperate for God. They were dependent on him for leadership. They didn't want to make big decisions without first hearing from God. And so they waited on the Holy Spirit to give them direction for how to go. I think about that in light of, of, of Genesis Church looking for a new physical home for this campus. You know, we lease this space. And so we've been praying. We've been looking ahead for a few years now. We'd like to own a place of our own, a, a place that we can call home for a long time. But God hasn't opened that door yet. And so we keep trusting him. We keep praying about these things. And it, it looks like they were probably gonna be here for at least a few more years, but that's okay. Like we're, we're trusting the Lord. Like we know he has a plan. And so in the meantime, we're gonna keep doing the work. All right, and the ministry that we believe that he has called us to as a church. And so this church was waiting and they were praying, but notice that something that happened in verse two, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, Luke doesn't tell us how they heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, but we know they heard the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit loud and clear and obediently responded, verse three, because it says they fasted and prayed. They placed their hands on them and they sent them out. And we've talked about how this church in Antioch was known for its financial generosity, but now we see them practicing this generosity in a whole new way by sending out two men who played a critical role in the, the formation and the growth of their church, sending them out from Antioch to these new things. And, and I guess this verse touched me in a special way this past week as I think about families and individuals from Genesis who have moved on to new jobs and new communities and therefore new churches over the years. As I, I think about Genesis students who have graduated and gone off to college that are doing some amazing things for the Lord. I got a text from one of our former students this past week who is uh, applying for a, a church ministry position in another city and she was asking me for a reference. I, I ran into one of our dads the the other day. He was telling me about his college-age son, a former GSM student, how he's going to be serving the Lord in Indonesia this summer. I think about staff who have served with us and have now gone on to do some remarkable things for the Lord in other churches and with other ministries. It's sad to send people out. Uh, it's sad to see people go, but I guess if you're going to be ascending church, then you're not about protection. You're not about preservation. It's not about looking out, you know, for our little kingdom here in this part of the world. It's about expansion. It's about obedience. It's about the gospel first. It's about the kingdom of God before anything else. And that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what we see the Holy Spirit doing uh, in this church, in this thriving church in Antioch. Let's keep reading verse four. The two of them, again, Barnabas, and Saul sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Now, again, because the details matter, Luke tells us that Saul and Barnabas, they're not calling the shots on this new venture. Instead, they're learning to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And as we read, we learn that the Holy Spirit first led them to Seleucia, which was a port city about 20 miles from Antioch. And and then on to the port city 
of Salamis, you can see here in Cyprus. And I just want you to catch a glimpse of this port city today. And some of you have heard me say before, I, I hope to retire in Noblesville. But I got to tell you, I mean, does anybody want to plant Genesis Church, Salamis, Genesis Church, Cyprus with me, right? I mean, campus number three, let's plant a new church together. Like I've never been to Cyprus before. Maybe some of you have. I've been to Aruba. Uh, I, I look at Cyprus here and it reminds me a lot of Ru Aruba, you know, these blue crystal clear waters and, uh, you know, temperatures perfect, you know, a great place to relax. This, this is important. God didn't send Barnabas and Saul there because it was beautiful. He sent them there because uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus. This is Barnabas's home. These are his people. He knows the land, he knows the culture, and more than anything else, God knew that the people of Cyprus needed Jesus. And so why not use somebody like Barnabas and Saul. And in verse 5, we learn they, they started, Barnabas and Saul did, by visiting a familiar place. Verse 5, it says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Now, this is a strategic move for, for a number of reasons, and it's a strategic move that's going to be repeated over and over again by Barnabas and Saul. Jewish synagogues fun functioned a lot like church buildings function for us today, and the Jewish people would go there weekly for worship and, and spiritual instruction. And so during these synagogue services, it was common for the law of Moses to be read out loud, but it was also common for a visiting rabbi to be invited to get up and to give that teaching. Remember, the details matter. This is an interesting detail, especially when you consider that Saul had been a well-known and highly respected Jewish rabbi before he started following Jesus. And so Barnabas and Saul are gonna make this habit of visiting the Jewish synagogues whenever they're traveling. And I just want you again to pay attention to what's happening. The Holy Spirit launches these men out on this new missions movement and he sends them to a familiar place so that they could share their faith with people they could relate to. And it just leads me to the question that if God can do that with Barnabas and Saul, why wouldn't he do it with you and me? Genesis Church, for those of you that are here this morning, like who are your people? Who's your family? Your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, like who are the people of your life who do not yet know and follow Jesus Christ? Your, your home can be your mission field. Uh, moms, if your children it's still, are still at home, like your family is your most important mission field. Uh, students, teachers, administrators, your school can be your mission field. Your, your office, where you work, the clients that you serve can be your mission field. Your neighborhood, the, the people that live on your street and in your apartment complex, your campus can be your mission field. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, go into all of the world and to make disciples. The word go can also be translated as as you are going, as you're doing life, as you're going through your everyday normal Monday and Tuesday and whatever day routine, 
make disciples. It's no coincidence that God sent Barnabas to his home to the place where he already had relationships and Saul with him. Do you want to make a difference for the Lord? All right, you want to make your life count? You want to make a difference for the kingdom? You don't have to go far. You don't have to go somewhere brand new. You don't have to change careers or schools or zip codes. Like, look around, be intentional. Who are the people in your life that God has put there? The people, the relationships that you have, the relationships you're still building. Where has God given you influence? Don't underestimate your influence and your place and what God may want to do in and through you. And imagine what would happen or could happen if every single one of us allowed the Holy Spirit to lead us into these intentional places where we can be greatly and deeply used by him. Verse six, it says they traveled again, Barnabas and Saul through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. And so Luke gives us some more details by introducing us to two different men. The first man is Sergius Paulus. A proconsul was the governor of a Roman province who had been appointed by the Roman emperor himself. And so as proconsul, Sergius Paulus would have likely been one of the most powerful men, not only in Cyprus, but even in the Roman Empire. The second man was a Jewish sorcerer named Bar-Jesus. Now, whenever you see the word bar and hyphen, it means the son of. And so this man is the son of Jesus, but this is no relation to Jesus Christ. The name Jesus in the first century was a very popular name. And so likely the son, obviously the son of somebody else. The title of sorcerer, though, is weird for sure, but it was un- wasn't uncommon because officials like Sergius Paulus would have had individuals in their life that would have served as advisors and religious consultant. My point is this, look at the meeting that God orchestrated. As verse seven says, Sergius requested this meeting with Barnabas and Saul, and why? Because as the text says, he wanted to hear the word of God. One problem though, Bar-Jesus, also known as Elamis, as we're gonna see, didn't like the idea of losing his spiritual influence. Verse eight, it says, but Elamis the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, and he's gonna be known from Paul this point forward, his Roman name, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamis and said, you were a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Look at some of these names. He calls him the child of the devil, an enemy that it, of everything that is right, full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Doesn't sound like very kind things to say about somebody you've never really spent much time with. But what Luke is trying to do here is to highlight for us the severity of the situation, really the spiritual battle front and center in this moment. The gospel is ready to penetrate and change lives. Luke point, Luke's point is that Satan will oppose it at all costs. And here's the thing for us. We can learn from this too. Because like Barnabas and Saul, we also live every single day in the midst of a spiritual battle. In fact, if you're gonna serve the Lord, if you're gonna make it your intent to share your faith with others, if you're gonna live your life sent for Jesus Christ in your work, in your neighborhood, or your school, if you're gonna, if you're gonna live that kind of sent life, just know that you're, know that you're gonna face opposition of your own. You're gonna, you're gonna go through intense and difficult times. The evil one will try to trip you up. He'll make life confusing. He's gonna go to great lengths to keep you busy 
busy and distracted and frustrated. At the same time, you might have somebody that you're praying for. There may be somebody in your life right now who doesn't know Jesus Christ and you're praying for them and you're investing in them. Somebody like Sergius Paulus and maybe it's not going the way that you thought or you're frustrated or it seems like you, you, you get two steps forward and then one step back with them. Can I just encourage you today to be patient? Be patient, keep praying, be a good friend, uh, be a good listener. You know, don't, don't be afraid to share your faith, but don't get frustrated when you don't see the kinds of results you've been praying for. Like remember, just as this sorcerer was a distraction and a stumbling block for Sergius, we also at the same time live in a terribly complicated, frustrating, noisy world right now. It's tough enough following Jesus on your own, but for your friends and your family and your coworkers who don't yet know Jesus, they got a million voices screaming at them every single day, this way and that way. And here's the way to go, influencing their lives and their opinions and their decisions. There's a spiritual battle, incredible opposition at play, at stake for every person out there today to try and attempt to keep them from turning to Jesus. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Like only the Holy Spirit can change a life, but he loves to use people and he loves to use students, faithful and humble people who will trust him. Verse 11, Paul says, now the hand of the Lord is against you, Elamis. You're gonna be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Did you catch that? Because it's just easy to race over it. The proconsul, Sergius Paulus, the most powerful and influential man in Cyprus and one of the most important men in the Roman Empire believed. And as an additional detail, you can check this out on your own, Sir William Ramsey, a, a well-known archeologist and New Testament scholar who's done a, a detailed work in Cyprus uh, has found and discovered, he and his team, inscriptions on the island of Cyprus that not only bear the name of Sergius Paulus, proving that he was a historical person, but these same inscriptions also confirmed that at some point in his life, he and his family turned to the Lord and followed Jesus Christ. See, the details matter. And Luke doesn't want us to brush over the fact that Sergius Paulus the proconsul of Cyprus believed. And if you go back to verse 12 one more time, he believed and why? It says he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And what was that teaching? Well, for Paul and Barnabas, their message was the message that not only had changed their lives, but was radically changing the lives of others. Just this, that the tomb of Jesus is empty that we have a savior, that God wasn't satisfied to let this world, to let you and me waste away in our own sin or hopelessness, but in love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Jesus lived life the way life was intended to be lived, and he didn't sin, and yet he willingly gave up his life on the cross to satisfy the penalty of sin for me 
and the penalty of sin for you and he died, but we know and we believe and trust that God raised him from the dead so that we might know him and trust him and live our lives for him. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's changed Sergius Paulus and it's changed in my life. And I know that it's changing many of yours and it can change your life and it can change the lives of the people that you love who don't yet know the Lord, that parent that you're praying for, that kid who isn't ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, that friend, that neighbor that you've been investing him, the people that God is putting into our lives. Back to our friend Vasily Arkpo for just a moment. Uh, the events of one day in 1962 were kept secret for decades. It wasn't until 2002 that the public first learned about this close brush with death. And Vasily has been recognized by the United States as well as other organizations around the world for his bravery and for his actions. In fact, the director of the National Security Archives once said of him, the great lesson from this event is that a guy named Vasily Arkhipov saved the world and we know no doubt that he did something remarkable and courageous but it's nothing compared to what our savior jesus christ did on our behalf jesus saved the world that was the message these early christians were willing to give their lives for and for all of us today no matter who you are like it's it's the most important mission we've been given to share as followers of jesus I mean, really, for all of us at Genesis, it's, it's the message that we need to be prepared to give our lives for. And so as we close today, I want to just take a few moments in prayer with you, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, but we shared this prayer at the very beginning of our Acts series. We call it the everyday prayer. It just goes like this. Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. Um, I want you to do for others what you have done for me. Use me today that others may know you. And you can find this on, on our website. There's a handout back at the Info Hub, but we're gonna leave it on the screen and just kind of walk through it and, and pray it right now. And so I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads with me if you would. And we're gonna just kind of use this as a prayer prompt here. And, and then again, I'll share a few things that will be dismissed. But Father in heaven, we do thank you for what you accomplished for us through the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in him, the life that we have in him, and how that changes everything for each of us. And so can I just invite you where you are right now, where you see, will you just thank the Lord for your salvation, what he's done for you, how he saved you and redeemed you, maybe how he's helping you today. And then let me just ask you to think about this and maybe these images are already in your mind, but where has God given you influence? Where are there people in your life right now? People who don't yet know the Lord.
And as you think about those places, would you just be willing to pray a, a prayer of obedience today? God, you can use me. Give me courage. Give me faith. Give me words. Maybe you're realizing today I'm way too distracted. Ask God to move, remove those distractions. And then let's end with this. I want you to pray for somebody in particular, specific, by name, somebody in your life that doesn't yet know the Lord. And pray that God will use you to help them know Jesus. Father, we pray these things to you today. We, we pray that what we see you and what you've done through the book of Acts and through these men and women and students, Lord, who are boldly and courageously living their lives for you, we want you to do it here and through Genesis and in Hamilton County and even beyond this place. You can use us, Lord. You can use our church. We want others to know you, to find their way back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.